should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, 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 welcome. It's Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. As you know, Tuesday is a great day because John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Hello, Michelle. Hello, you must be excited for today, especially oh, you. It's Christmas in June. <laughs> As you know, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is the host of his own uh, week-to-week political roundtable talk here on the Michelle Miao Show that airs Fridays at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And so um, so that is why I think you are extremely excited today. I, I, I want to throw this at you. I mean, so many people are angry about the uh, Associated Press's presumptive um, – uh, announcement of Hillary being the Democratic nominee for uh, the you know presidential seat. What are your thoughts about that presumption? <laughs> well, first of all, that that's what the Associated Press does, and other news organizations have done the same thing. That's what they do. They contact all the super delegates and say, "Okay, you haven't announced yet. Who are you planning on supporting?" <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and they did the same thing back in two thousand eight. They did you know they do it every presidential election year. It was apparently unexpected by everybody, including Hillary Clinton's folks. But uh, and so, you know, they're scrambling just as much as Bernie Sanders folks are. Bernie Sanders folks don't want vote their voters to say, oh, OK, it's over. I'm not going to vote, you know, today in all the primaries in California, New Jersey and North Dakota and wherever else. Um, Hillary Clinton's people, of course, want their people to come out as well because they don't want to land with a thud, even, you know. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to win California. She won it in 2008 and didn't get her the White House. But you don't want to kind of limp into the convention. You want to soar into the convention. So what you're seeing now is I think really you're getting the heavy pressure now on Bernie Sanders from Democratic Party people saying, okay, thank you. It's really time to wrap it up. Um, and that's probably going to really irk those people like you just mentioned because they're like, no, 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 it's not over. Well, it is over. You're seeing now very strong indications that President Obama is going to be endorsing and getting on the road for uh, Hillary Clinton possibly as soon as tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's a very exciting few days for political <laughs> geeks. I think so. I mean, uh, I mean, for every American, really, uh, anything we can do to defeat Donald Trump. Um, at the same time, I was listening to Forum with Michael Krasny this mm-hmm. morning. I know how much you love that show. Uh <laughs> Um, but it was a fascinating conversation and talking about the uh, Brock Turner case, the young Stanford kid who yeah. only got six months as far as a sentence goes uh, for for sexually assaulting um, an unconscious woman on <clears throat> excuse me campus. And, um, you know, it just kind of has me thinking so much as a woman here in this country. And so seeing a woman in the most powerful position here in this country, I think, is absolutely necessary. 
Uh, so I don't know if that was just kind of my slight way of endorsing Hillary Clinton, but let's get this this uh, show started. We're not going to talk about any of the current candidates. We're not even going to think about who might be president. We're going to go way back and have a fascinating conversation with our next guest. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our next guest is a historian and psychoanalyst, Charles B. Strozier. He is the author of Your Friend Forever, A. Lincoln, um, as well as the 1982 uh, uh, psychological portrait of uh, Abe Lincoln. And that was titled Lincoln's Quest for Union. So let's welcome Charles to the program. Charles, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Michelle, for inviting me. Uh, so we brought you here today after I'd read this incredibly fascinating article about your friend forever, A. Lincoln. There had been, you know, rumors that had swirled in and around through the years that uh, Abe Lincoln could possibly be gay. Um, let's just throw that out there. Was Abe Lincoln gay? Uh, no, basically. But the the context, it's a fascinating friendship. And it was, there's no question that, Joshua Speed was Lincoln's absolutely his best friend. There's no question that he helped him through the most difficult time in his life from his late 20s to early 30s. And it's also no question that they slept in the same bed for almost four years. So given that you can't say for sure, um, there's a lot of evidence. Springfield was a gossipy town. Um, There were other people. It was above a store, Joshua Speed's store that they shared a double bed. There were other people who were in the room, actually slept in another bed. Um, and there's the context. The context is that uh, actual uh, sexual encounters between the two of them w- would have been noticed. It would have been noticed in the town. You know, it was illegal. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they they didn't... Uh, uh, and, the, and he also, Lincoln himself, talked about it openly. He During the war, he had a reference to uh, talking to somebody about appointing Speed's brother to, as attorney general, and he said, uh, you know, I don't know James Speed that well, but I know his brother uh, Joshua very well because back in the old days we slept together for four years. So, you know, one has to understand the, the context, which is that they were close and loving without, and, and really were loving. I mean, it was an absolutely incredibly important friendship for uh, Lincoln, but it, but it, it, in, in context, it wasn't sexualized. If it had been sexualized, for one thing, they would have had to be very deep in the closet, very deep in the closet, um, because it was so prescribed. The, the culture not only allowed for it, but encouraged warm, loving friendship between men, but then rigidly drew, drew a boundary between expressive forms of friendship and actual uh, actual sexual encounters and sexual love. Um, it, it's it's difficult to because things are so different now. Um, it's different to enter into that 19th century form of uh, friendship and sort of understand its texture and its significance and how different uh, different it uh, is but was from what it is today. Well, and that's kind of the the, the thing that jumped out at me the most was the difficulty in getting audiences today or readers today, excuse me, to understand how things were different. And I'm just talking about, you know, the two men sleeping together in the bed immediately today, people think, "Uh uh-huh, right. Um, But, uh, you know, you've noted, look, that that was not unusual. That was not unusual for just about every, you know, everybody growing up in your own family, you were sleeping with multiple people in beds. Mm -hmm. Um, 
how how did you go about getting into you know to learning all those details about how things really were back then and how and then of course how to explain that to a 2016 audience well i mean as michelle noted i i uh, <clears throat> my first book was 1982 on lincoln and i was working on that for the eight or nine years before that uh i lived in springfield for a while before i came to new york um so this has been sort of a rattling around in my brain for about 40 years um wow. on Wow. <laughs> yes. Pretty deeply immersed in the, in the Lincoln stuff, and, and it's always interesting, man. Actually, I, I, I mentioned this in like half of one chapter in my first book, and, and that's what set off. I, I sort of discovered it, um, kind of you know stumbled on it, um, and that's what set off all the, the writings and books and talks about gay Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I watched, which I thought was, was really... You know, if it had been true, it would be be very important. We'd want to understand it, but it just seemed to me to to be a a, a misread of really pretty abundant historical evidence. Um, but that, in turn, occasioned a whole literature by more mainstream uh, Lincoln scholars writing about you know, as I call it, the high testosterone Lincoln, the sort of <laughs> prostitutes and broken hearts littered the ground, and that was equally wrong. Because they were, you know, they were trying to save Lincoln from being gay, um, and I think what what it what it was, as I say, was this: it was loving but not sexualized relationship. So it's it takes a lot of sort of psychological subtlety, I think, to appreciate that kind of male friendship. I mean, my book is a book about Lincoln, about the crises he went through, two very important suicidal depressions, but it's also about what I think is a sort of a paradigmatic male friendship in American history. Mm-hmm. Well, and and the, apparently one of the things that they had tying them together was kind of a mutual uh, fear of dealing with women in a way. I, I mean, how they would perform and all that kind of stuff. Go into that a bit. How did they? Uh, how were they support for each other, and and how did they get through that? Well, I think it was Lincoln was. Five years old or so, the period when they were together, sleeping together, and and living in in the in that uh, Springfield was from 1837 to 1842, um, and Speed was five years younger, so a little younger. But the um, in that period, the most dramatic event that occurred was when in late 1840, when when Lincoln suddenly broke off his engagement with uh, Mary Todd, and that has occasioned just unbelievable. Uh, amount of books and articles written about trying to explain it. But what no one's noticed is what's happened is not that Mary had changed or there's all sorts of theories about it. She was the same person and he had fallen in love with her for the previous, most of the previous year. But Speed had decided his father had died. He was from a uh, southern uh, plantation-owning family had grown up with, you know, slaves, big plantation in Louisville, Kentucky. And his father had died the year before, and the rest of the family, he was sort of the acknowledged head of the family, they wanted him to return. And he delayed for a while, but finally in, in late summer, 1840, he decided to go back. But he owned this store, and we had a dry goods store in those days. That you didn't just walk, sell it and walk away. You had to call in debts and stuff. So he, he started putting notes in the paper, and that's the evidence, um, around August, late August, uh, calling in debts and stuff. So really what threw Lincoln into a panic in late 1840, was losing speed. And mm. he was was really thrown, he was very confused. And in that context, he broke off his engagement with Mary. 
for no good reason, no reason that she understood, hurt her feelings, he felt terrible, and then in January he went into this suicidal depression. And and, and just uh, interesting, because I could see someone who is, you know, seeing the, the impending, you know, loss of their very close friend, I could see them reacting otherwise, which would be to, you know, cling to this other relationship you have and, you know, maybe, you know, dive into that marriage. He responded a different way. Do, do you know why? Uh, well, I mean, given these things are always interpretive historically, because sure, I sure. can't talk to him, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a dead patient, but he's a patient. <laughs> um, I, I, I think he, he was terribly afraid of intimacy and love and, and I think sexual connection. And he, he yearned for it. He sought out this is sought out Mary, fell in love with her, but he was terrified at the idea of of, of uh, consummation of reaching of, of, of full on intimacy with someone he loved, um, and and so that's why he when losing speed sort of really destabilized him. He had a kind of a uneasy equilibrium when he had speed with him all the time. They spent all time together. They were they were. Uh, uh, during the day, they would eat their main meal together. They would they worked half a, literally half a block apart. They'd come back in the evening. People would gather in the store to, to talk to Lincoln, um, mainly. Um, even when Lincoln was out on the circuit, Speed would sometimes go and and uh, be there with him. Uh, so losing Speed was really threw him for a loop. Um, and as you say, rather than I mean, it would have been imaginable that he would sort of yearn more for Mary, but but it, it threw him into a, as I say, into kind of a panic. Um, but then that year, then Speed hung around for a while after when Speed was, when Lincoln was so suicidal. But then he did go back to Kentucky. And then in the late summer, he went to visit him on their plantation in Louisville. It's actually Lincoln's most, really only direct experience of uh, slavery. Um, he stayed with him for three weeks on the plantation. Um, and they went for long walks, and they were together, and they renewed their their friendship and everything. And in that context, Speed suddenly uh, uh, dated, and like two days later, fell in love with him and got engaged to Fanny Henning. And he later wrote to Herndon, who did a elaborate oral history, later wrote, he said, at that point, some of the same foolishness that had befallen Lincoln earlier in the year around a broken engagement with Mary, uh, 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 I, I, su- I began to suffer from the same foolishness, um, and I got depressed. And so then, from then until the following February, when Speed got married, there was there, there was this, the, both men were, got caught, well, Lincoln got caught up vicariously in Speed's approaching marriage and consummation. And in in February, now remember, Lincoln's in Springfield, Illinois, and Speed is in Louisville. And um, some incredible letters that Lincoln writes Speed in January and February, where he completely identifies with Speed. He said, oh, I know you're so anxious and you're so worried about this. Don't worry about her dying. And I mean, all kinds of stuff that he's just projecting onto onto Speed. And then the big moment comes when Speed actually gets married on February 15th, 1842. And by prior agreement, 
Speed, the next morning, literally fell out of bed before he did anything and wrote a letter to Lincoln. We don't have those letters. We only have Lincoln's letters in reply, so you have to imagine what he said. But clearly from Lincoln's letter in reply, he had consummated the marriage and the sky hadn't fallen in. So this this was like the 19th century equivalent of going out on a date and, and then tweeting about it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Only you got a lot more than 140 characters. I, I do want to get back and, and talk about, you know, just um, the, and asking, like, how healthy this this friendship or this relationship actually is, because in 2016 with social media and everything, I don't think anybody has a best friend quite like that relationship. But Charles, we need to take a quick break right here. Um, but stay with us. We'll continue our conversation with uh, Charles Strozier about Abe Lincoln. And he was not gay. <laughs> He just had a passionate friendship. Don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And our special guest on the phone is historian and psychoanalyst Charles B. Strozier, who's the author of Your Friend Forever, A. Lincoln. And we're talking about the special friendship that Abe Lincoln had with his best friend, Joshua Speed. So, Charles, as a psychoanalyst, I mean, kind of looking back at this um, this friendship, while it may have seemed normal at the time, it may be, you know, just a... Uh, so special um, that someone can have a friendship like that. I think that in 2016, parents would be concerned that <laughs> their 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 kids uh, or 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 somebody you know uh, has a friendship like this. What what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, and kind of was this friendship healthy? I think it was. Oh, absolutely, it was healthy. Um, and I think the difference now is if. 
two grown men in their mid to late 20s were sleeping together and totally, you know, uh, fused in their friendship and uh, sort of could anticipate each other's feelings and be close and talk about their affection for each other and be open about their friendship, and they slept together, we would assume they were gay, and I think they would be they would assume it too. They would. That's how they would present themselves to the world. So, I mean, hopefully they wouldn't be uh, maligned by families. Hopefully that that would be accepted, and 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 that's how they would live. Um, you know, the self presentation is 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 different. Um, and then, I mean, just before the break, you 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 said they were not gay, but they were passionate friends, and that's that's exactly right. I mean, that's the way to. That's interesting. I do want to get into obviously the difference between then and now, but uh, what you just said was new to me. I I didn't realize that was a 19th century different from what went before. Uh, do we know why the that time produced that? Well, it's partly with the spread of sort of middle class. I mean, this is a very middle class couple of guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, white middle class. They were relatively privileged, and they were, but they were they were also living on the edge of of America, Um, sort of the urban frontier, not the real frontier, the urban frontier, small town, 1,500 people, um, lots of lawyers, lots of people had come from Kentucky, and so then they were were aspiring. I mean, Lincoln was obviously a a very ambitious young politician and lawyer, and Speed was enormously, well, he, he was quite a successful businessman, and he later, when he went back to Kentucky, he became really very, very rich. Um, and owned hotels and banks and railroads and that kind of stuff. Um, so they were prominent figures, and they, they were existing in a sort of liminal space uh, that was peculiar to the 19th century where men tended to... They either got married at 18, which tended to be the, you know, on the, on the farmers, mm-hmm. um, or they tended to delay marriage because... That given the separation of men and women, the gender separation, women were in the home, they raised the children, but they had, you know, they couldn't vote, they couldn't work, they couldn't live in the public space. So everything fall, fell on men's shoulders, given that separation of spheres, um, the gender difference. So men, um, and Lincoln is a perfect example, they really had to be sure that they could support a family before they got married and started a family, if they were inclined to. You know, if they were heterosexual, yeah. um, and that meant you tended to delay marriage. You tended, and also it was particular. It was peculiar to Central Illinois. There was there was the the ratio was like one hundred and twelve to what, what's the math there eighty eight. There were significantly more men for a lot of just because of the way people had immigrated to Illinois. Wow. So that added to the to this difference. Um, so these male friendships developed in this sort of special period in American history and special set of values in American history. And, and they, they, men were close and intimate and loving like this between mother, I like to say, between mother and wife. In a sort of narrative space, that's when they turned to men, when, they, when men were, could help sustain them and, 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 and be close in a way that Lincoln and Speed were for each other. I, I would think they could also be vulnerable to each other. I mean... For example, talking about their fears about how they would perform on their marriage night, 
I mean, that's something that would be, even today, very difficult for most men <laughs> without doing it either jokingly or, uh, right. you know, whatever. Um, to have someone who, yeah, knows what you're going through and who's on your side and, and is your, you know, intimate bestie in that sense, um, I would think actually is, like you said, it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. And I kind of wonder if that is had as much today, if that's replicated in our modern relationships. Yeah, I think to people, there are not too many people who are virgins, you know, past adolescence. So the actual experience of, of sex of any form is not, and if you haven't had it, you've certainly seen it on, you know, the internet and yeah, but there are lots of other things. Or, yeah, but there are lots of other things that people are self-conscious about that they're worried about that they're, you know, that couldn't agree more. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Right. <laughs> I, but but the, you know the punchline I didn't want the punchline on the February when Lincoln received the letter that Speed wrote when he tumbled out of his bed. Lincoln said, "I received your promised letters, letter of the fifteenth. I have yet." to become calm after 10 hours. <laughs> He's a 33-year-old man. Abraham Lincoln, our greatest politician, was shaking for 10 hours after he got the letter that his best friend had consummated his marriage and fallen out of bed, and, you know, the sky didn't fall in. This, this is why abstinence-only <laughs> sex education is not healthy. Well, I, you know, I, I actually I have a question about you know, uh, Abe Lincoln's mental state. I mean, you know... Uh, he was suicidal, as you'd mentioned, and depressed. And yeah. I don't know what the uh, diagnosis would be here in 2016, but uh, you know, we're talking about the friendship being healthy. It was healthy for him. It it it, it helped him, but at saved the same time, um, yeah, it saved them. Um, so I don't know if uh, if part of the reason why they were vulnerable, you know, with each other, or or that they needed this relationship was that. Um, that, that had a lot to do with with Abe's uh, mental state of mind. What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, no, no, he was in a very fragile state in in his late twenties, and he had you know the first person he had fallen in love with was uh, Ann Rutledge, um, in his mid mid twenties, well early to mid twenties, and then she had suddenly died in eighteen thirty five when he was still living in New Salem, it's about seventeen miles from Springfield. Um, and he was suicidal after that. I mean, there's lots of oral history evidence for that that was kind of misread for 100 years. People didn't really look closely at what the old settlers had said about his state. Um, and, and I think what happened was, and this is interpretation because I can't know this, but, but I think it's reasonable to think that what happened when Ann Rutledge died, his first love, was it, it, it was traumatic but it, was, it re-traumatized him because it evoked the sudden death of his mother when he was nine, who had been, who was the rock for his love, his life, who was loving, who was smart, who was totally nourished him through childhood. And then suddenly within a couple of days, she uh, um, got the milk sickness, the cows ate poisonous roots in, in the forest and came back and you drank the milk, then you, you died. It was horrible death. And so suddenly he was left... Uh, motherless, and I mean that was really probably the great, I think, the great trauma of his life, which is evoked when Ann Rutledge dies, and because because it, it was such a extreme reaction he had to her death, um, and then six years later when he broke off the engagement um, and was about to lose speed, he was again he, I mean it's a, he, it was a serious depression. The, the best documented is the one in 1841 after the broken engagement. Um, 
his people living in the house said he was crazy as a loon. He was hallucinating. Um, he, they removed his razors. They went on kind of a what, what I, we call a suicide watch to be sure someone to be sure someone was with him uh, for for about two weeks. He was he was really very very serious trouble, very serious trouble. And after after the um, uh, what he went through after Speed basically in, in their relationship, he was able to be close, and then Speed was able to marry. After that, he was always subject to depression. He was moody, yeah. but he never again was suicidal. So briefly, because we're going to have to wrap up soon, tell us a bit, what was their relationship like later in life? Did they remain oh, close? Very to important relationship. I mean, from the, from the moment of Speed's consummation, they, their relationship changed. They begin to drift apart. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln is freed up to return to Mary, and he starts courting her again that summer and marries the fall, in the following fall. For... 15 or so years until the late 50s, he didn't really have much contact with Speed, that one important letter in 1855. But they kind of, they were drifted. They went their separate ways, led their own lives. But then when the war came, yeah. he um, uh, he wanted to bring, Speed was the second person he wanted in the cabinet. Nobody noticed how, he wanted to make him Treasury Secretary. Um, Speed turned it down for a lot of complicated reasons. And then later, Speed visited him often in the White House. And they would talk about old time. He was just a, he was a, you know, his old dear friend who would come to, to visit. So it was very touching, actually. Charles, thank you so much. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And I know that uh, it took a little bit of time to, to get you. And I, I'm so glad that you, that we made it happen. I mean, this was incredible for us today. Well, thank you very much. Good questions. Charles Strozier, everyone, he's the author of Your Friend Forever, A. Lincoln, and so you should definitely pick up a a copy. It's a fascinating book, and so if you're like John and I, who are geeks, (laughs) (laughs) you should pick one up. Don't go away. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where you know you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that you know we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how 
suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now. And, and it's, it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just you know, tolerating, but appreciating diversity. And that's the message, is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, follow your passion. Follow what you believe in. Follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know, some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. It is Tuesday. There are no tacos here, but... Uh, <laughs> John, you sent me a meme and... Uh, I did. Yeah. Isn't it, was, it, it Taco it the, Tuesdays on the gay agenda? Sure, it was the gay agenda. It was like Monday is be gay, Wednesdays be gay, Thursdays be gay, et cetera. But Tuesday was tacos. <laughs> John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Just very quickly before we introduce our next guest, I want to mention that uh, John and I finally got our forum partnership up and going. So if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, make sure you come out to a uh, forum that we're doing part of the Inform series or programs at Commonwealth Club, right? That's right. It's going to be on Monday, June 20th, mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to be all about the Black Lives Matter and, and the LGBTQI uh, involvement, and the. It, it's going to be a fascinating discussion. Um, and if you aren't in this area, don't worry. We're going to have video and audio of it you'll be able to catch later, but if you are, I'm sure you'll want to be there because it's going to be, um, I think, a very important evening. Yes, yes, a, a very, I, I will consider a groundbreaking conversation. We'll have Barbara Smith, uh, who's a black feminist activist. We'll have Darnell Moore, who's been very vocal and is a writer at Mike.com, also an author and uh, black queer activist himself. And of course, Alicia Garza, or Alicia Garza, I should say, um, who is one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. So get your tickets. Yep, go to common, <laughs> commonwealthclub.org and uh, you can get your tickets there. All right. Um, so our next guest is working on a film and had reached out to us through uh, the the website. So I very, very much appreciate um, her reaching out to us. And uh, the project, uh, you know, what's fascinating is that she actually is from Walnut Creek. So she still has a 925 area code. <laughs> and Walnut Creek is here in California. But she's a student filmmaker at Ithaca College. And so for her student, or I should say senior thesis project, she's working on a film and that touches on LGBTQ issues. So let's welcome Chessa Melman to the program. Chessa, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I just have to ask, are you related to Ken Melman at all? Um, is he the director? I believe so, yeah. <laughs> now, well, I'm talking about the uh, re Republican politician. Oh, that one. <laughs> that one. <laughs> um, you know, I Uncle can't Ken. actually tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the program. Thanks for writing to us, and thanks for sharing this project that you're working on. Tell us about Laban the Film. All right, so um, Leaving the Film is a uh, short film that I'm making. It's about a young woman in search of adventure who learns how exhilarating life can be in a chance encounter with a fellow traveler. Uh, this is my upcoming senior thesis film, and it's a coming-of-age story 
about life, aspiration, and self-acceptance. What do you know about coming of age? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm currently 21, uh, and the story is very loosely based off of my own experiences. So it's a bit of a coming of age, and it's a bit of a um, coming out story for LGBT. So uh, in that sense, it's more of my own experiences that I based it off of when writing the script. What, what can you tell us about the story? It, it's, it takes place in Europe, am I right? Yeah, so it's about um, a young woman, she's an American, who is traveling to Europe, um, and it takes place in the Netherlands, uh, in Utrecht, Netherlands, and she meets another person on the train, and it's kind of about the adventure that they have um, that night in the Netherlands. So, uh, how did we always? I always get into this when I'm talking with a, the, an author of a book or a filmmaker. What made you want to tell this story? How did you come about? You know, form, pulling together. I'm okay. I'm going to put it in Europe, or I'm going to draw on this part of my life and put it in, or I'm. I don't want it to be too autobiographical. I mean, how? Tell us about the genesis of coming up with this this project. Yeah. So, um, this story is very loosely based off of. Um, an event that happened four years ago when I went to Europe with my friends and we actually met um, four Austrian girls on a train and uh, we ended up meeting up with them. Um, that took place in Belgium, but we changed the story to take place in Utrecht. And then during that night, they told us a German phrase that translates to, we always meet twice in life. And so I really love that phrase and we kind of based the script around that a lot. Um, of course, I changed the story a lot. I wanted it to be uh, more of an LGBT film, whereas uh, in real life it was not at all uh, LGBT-based. It was more of a friendship. Um, but I thought it would be really wonderful if uh, you know there's more representation in film, if um, LGBT characters in film was something that was more normal. Um, this whole story is not centered around the fact that they're LGBT, but they happen to be... Uh, to women who are gay. So I thought that would be uh, something that was really important for people to see in the media. And uh, I think that needs to be shown more on screen. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's a, it's a coming-of-age story, but it's not a coming-out story, right? Um, it is a bit of a coming-out okay. story, yes. So it's a coming-of-age, coming-out story. Um, the main character kind of learns to accept herself more. So in the film... Um, she travels to Europe to find herself, and uh, in doing that, is able to accept herself, accept her sexuality, and uh, kind of come to terms with that. So in that way, it's her own personal realization, her own coming out story. It, it kind of fits in with the um, a kind of a subgenre that, that you see occasionally in books and movies, where someone goes elsewhere in order to learn about themselves. You know? That, yeah, that, yeah, that's... And, definitely a theme. Yeah, and, and and did you find that yourself as well when you went over there and you came back and you know your life is here and everything, but you're able to understand it better by having taken yourself out of it. I mean, I definitely saw that the first time, but actually, I just got back to California two days ago. About mm -hmm. um, I was studying in London and then traveling to make this film, and coming back, it's really interesting to see. Uh, how my life has changed here and what I've learned about myself while studying abroad and kind of taking myself out of my home place and coming back to it and seeing how it fit in. Yeah, this story is all too familiar for me. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sounds like my life in college. I have an, uh, an ex-girlfriend um, that I, I don't know. I think I, I don't dis I don't hate her. That's like that's not the right word. 
Maybe I dislike her. She studied abroad. She does not listen to this program. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's actually abroad right now. She always goes abroad when she feels that life is just way too stressful here in the United States. And surprise, surprise, today's voting day and she's in (laughs) Europe. (laughs) But but she did go, you know, to Europe and to to, to find herself. And she um, always... I don't know what it is about Europe that makes her feel like she's herself. But I wanted to ask you kind of, you know, um, for you personally in your travels and, and, and everything. I mean, John had asked that question, too, uh, in, in kind of finding yourself in a different place. But what is it about Europe? I mean, I, I'm just curious. Like, is it because they're less restrictive or uh, more open or we, what is it about Europe that people feel that they can find themselves? Um, well, in my script, uh, the characters actually talk about this exact question, and um, one of our characters says distance has a funny way of bringing ourselves closer, and I really believe that. I think um, sometimes uh, you just need some space from your everyday life, your everyday situation, uh, to find out who you really are, to get closer to everything, um, and closer to your own issues and thoughts. And then Europe as a place is absolutely an incredible place for, um, I guess, just a lot of reflection. Um, I remember when I first got there, I was like very, very, uh, four years ago, I was very um, shocked by how open they are about sexuality and how um, everything is open and talked about. And uh, I guess going back there, I still felt that was like a really great vibe. Um and it's really easy to explore yourself. You can be kind of whoever you want to be. Nobody knows you when you go to Europe, so that also helps. Oh, the, the, the days, you remind me of the days when I was 21 because I thought those exact same things. Uh, now that I'm 34, I'm, like, so cynical. I'm like, what? They're open about sexual orientation, gender identity? I, was, I believe it. I think Ireland's still the only country in the world <laughs> that allows for marriage equality. So don't be mistaken by the guys in skinny jeans. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo is absolutely not gay. Um, <laughs> neither was Abe Lincoln, but really, neither was it, Abe Lincoln. <laughs> um, Chester, I want to I want to focus on your film. I know that it's an Indiegogo project for you. You're trying to make this film. You're trying to uh, raise some money for it, and you're close. You're 64 percent there on your Indiegogo um, campaign, right? Yeah, that's correct. So they're looking to raise, or Chessa's looking to raise $1,800. I know we can help out Chessa, who is a uh, Bay Area girl in Walnut Creek. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Anything change about Walnut Creek now that you're back in California? Everything is different. It is absolutely shocking. The entire place is uh, under construction and rebuilt, and driving around, I hardly recognize it. In what way? (laughs) More Subarus? (laughs) They, um, they're rebuilding the entire place. Um, so every building has changed. Every, you know, uh, the downtown has new parking lots, new stores, restaurants. They're even redoing some of the streets. It's really interesting. And now you're teaming up with uh, a, a student at, uh, from San Francisco State University. He, I believe, is from Europe himself. Is that right? Um, he is actually also from Walnut Creek. Oh, so okay. I, I have know known him about. since <laughs> that's grade. But you probably saw he's from Europe, Europe because he's been studying there for the last year. Okay. He studied in Utrecht, Netherlands, which is why uh, we got the idea to shoot our film there. And currently he is finishing his semester in Denmark. Wow. Well, well thank you so much for being a, uh, an awesome you know, person and student yeah. and willing to do this. And good luck with your 
uh, student film, or I should say senior project. Is it senior? It's a senior thesis. Yes, it's a senior, senior thesis film. Awesome. Okay. So they are 64% to their goal. I know that we can help and I know we could make this happen for them. They've got 24 days left. If you head to Indiegogo, look under uh, Project Senior Film Thesis, Lehman Life, um, you should be able to find their uh, campaign. Chester, thanks so much for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show will continue, and John Zipper and I will close out the show with our thoughts on this very important voting day. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Happy Voting Day. Happy Taco Tuesday. Uh, All of it, you name it. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. I vote for tacos. Yeah. (laughs) It is voting day. Hey, I should mention uh, once again that we are having an awesome forum right here in San Francisco, June 20th, 6 to 8 at the Commonwealth Club at 555 Post Street. And uh, you can get tickets at CommonwealthClub.org. But it's a conversation with Black Lives Matter and the impact that the movement has had on the LGBTQI community. Uh, We've been getting a lot of questions from Various people of how Black Lives Matter intersects with, you know, LGBT or I should say San Francisco pride. Uh, And I had mentioned before here on the program that I was irritated by, you know, KQED's reporter of asking me, (laughs) what does Black Lives Matter have to do with the LGBTQI community? Oh, my God. 
black people exist and some black people can be LGBTQI. Yeah, but I, I, in, in that reporter's defense, and I didn't hear that report, but in that reporter's defense, I think most people don't know that Black Lives Matter is very much an LGBTQI-led movement. Mm-hmm. So very much a women's-led movement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and a large part of that is because it's a generational change. And this whole, the, one of the core issues that they have, which is the mass incarceration of young African-American men, has taken out, if you will, a generation of African-American men who otherwise would be leading whatever or helping mm-hmm. to lead, you know, the new movements in the African-American community. So it's, it's a very interesting thing to watch, and, and it, this will be a great opportunity to actually hear directly from one of the, uh, the founders of the movement. Yeah, Alicia Garza, um, also Darnell Moore, who's a senior correspondent at Mike. He's also a co-managing editor at the Feminist Wire. Um, and we have Barbara Smith. I mean, Barbara Smith, I like cried when she asked uh, Marissa, who works with you yep. at Inforum, to speak to me directly. Uh, I've read Barbara Smith's book, you know, maybe in the last like three years of my life and in, in, as I'm growing my interest in, in coalition building and being a part of the LGBTQI community. And so <laughs> she's a black feminist author and activist. But I yeah, I literally lost myself when she called to talk to me directly of how important this conversation is. So please join us June 20th, six to eight if you can. And if not, Commonwealth Club will be taping this event and offering it uh, on their channel. So head to CommonwealthClub.org. Uh, and now to close out the show, I mean, it's voting day. Um, and, you know, so so that means you've got to go out to your polling place and actually physically vote. Well, today, yes. Um, an interesting thing about California is that most voters will already have voted before voting day. Either you can vote early by going to, you know, City Hall or wherever you, you are, where they have an open polling place early. Or, of course, mail-in voting, which I did weeks ago. Um, and that's actually what's interesting if you're one of those people like me who's like watching the polls and every day, oh my gosh, it's getting tighter and tighter. Well, when it's getting tighter and tighter, but most people have already voted, that means that that level of what could actually change on the on voting day itself is smaller than small. Mm-hmm. It's smaller than, say, a 2% mm-hmm. difference between the two because, you know, again, the bulk have already voted. Not only that, the bulk voted back when the spread between the two Democratic candidates was much wider. So... It's going to be interesting to watch. We might, especially speaking here out in California, where we like to think the world revolves around us, um, the rest of you might not even get our results for our final results, at least for another day or two, because we've got all of these mail-in ballots still to be counted, and people can will still be counting ballots that we receive, I guess, through the 10th of June. So that's a great, this here's a good question. For, for those of you who do mail in your ballots, is it too late to mail them in? Nope, I think it has to be postmarked today. So as we say, you know, vote today, whether you support Bernie or Hillary or like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you vote, you know, support John Kasich, vote today. If you support Donald Trump, don't forget to vote tomorrow. (laughs) Um, Now's your chance. So, you know, yes, we know that on this ballot here, we are to choose who you would like to vote for uh, president of the United States. But in California specifically, there are also some other people that you can vote for. And in San Francisco, I know that uh, one of the popular races would be the state Senate seat um, between Jane Kim and Scott Wiener. I don't know if they've got any other candidates. Um, there is, I believe, a Republican candidate, and I apologize, I don't remember his name. <laughs> right, it same here. goes without saying that obviously it's going to be either Jane Kim or uh, Scott Wiener. And 
So, both, both have lots of support. Um, right. You're right. E- either one, I think, will will do well in the position. Um, I think so too, and and it's kind of hard though not to, uh, not to, well, not to support Jane Kim. Um, I, I, you know, it. Uh, Scott Weiner has made some decisions impacting San Francisco, uh, especially in his district that I have not been very fond of, or you know, and I just kind of making feel people that... wear clothes. That one? <laughs> I know he's known for the anti-nudity thing, but um, no, I mean, it has a lot to do with the fact that San Francisco has changed economically. And I think that we need uh, politicians. And, and you said this before, you got to vote for, you know, the local governments. You got to vote for the person who you really, truly believe is going to represent your concerns. And right now I am concerned about the economic disparity and the income inequality that uh exists here in San Francisco. Um, I was talking to a, a, a company that many San Francisco residents, or I should say uh, community activists, are very angry with. I won't say the name, but I said to him, why is it that we can't all live here? For you know the people who want to live here, why can't we coexist together? Um, so I, I'm not saying that I'm an anti, you know, tech company, like rah, big developer, get the hell out, but we've got to do something. And I, I'm just looking for the right person to have that conversation. And, and I think people, obviously it's going to come down for folks on the progressive side, which, I mean, both candidates obviously are addressing these issues, which do you think has a better chance of doing it, which has a better proposals and such. Um, an interesting thing though, for all the rest of you out of, outside of San Francisco, who are sick and tired of listening to San Franciscans talk about San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we just have too much money. We don't know where to put it. Um, you, it, it is interesting that you are starting now to see some, uh, uh, you know, the tech industry is going through a bit of a slowdown, you know, especially on the startup, yep. the VC side. And um, you're seeing some companies doing layoffs. You're seeing some, seeing some companies uh, pull back on some of their kind of extraordinary, you know, free ping pong days or whatever. Um, but you're also finally seeing it start to hit the real estate market. So, mm-hmm. and it, it first hits the condo market. So, condo prices are starting to level off, and it's taking longer to, for things to to actually be sold. That is all boring detail for most folks. But what it does mean is, you know, this is a boomer bust city, and we're probably headed now toward a bust. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm so such a cynical, negative person. <laughs> um, Let's move on, though. I want to end the conversation. I, I opened up with the fact that I listened to Forum this morning, and I think it's I, very I important. I can't believe you admitted that on radio. <laughs> I do listen to Michael Krasny on Forum. Um, but, you know, the conversation of Brock Turner, the, the, the case of Brock Turner, the young uh, Stanford student who uh, allegedly, I should say that as someone in the media, allegedly, uh, uh, sexually assaulted a young woman who was found unconscious. And uh, the interesting thing about this case, and I wanted to ask your thoughts, you know, regarding this, is that prosecutors were looking for uh, six years, and the judge turns around and gives him a sentence of six months. Um, that was his decision to go that lenient. We're talking about, you know, voting for the right people in local government. I mean, do you feel that this judge made... A judgment of error. I, I wouldn't even begin to get into that because right? I, I mean, just I, I don't know enough about it. Um, I will say certainly what has really irked people is not just that this comes amid a time of, of deservedly heightened attention and concern about campus of sexual assault, but that 
the attitude that they've seen come from, you know, uh, the the defendant and the defendant's father, you know, seem to be as if, oh, this was nothing, Don't, mm-hmm. you know, and and that is, is just kind of a you're not getting the point sort of mm-hmm. thing, which makes it even angrier, you know, desert, an angrier response that they're going to get. So um, I, you know, when I heard that the six months that I, I hadn't read an entire thing on it, I was kind of like, I don't know what the actual, you know, what's normal for this, what or what, but it does seem strange if the prosecutor is seeking more mm-hmm. and the judge has a guilty verdict, why they would choose a lesser thing. So, and then I don't know if the judge is, has explained himself or not. Has he? Um, yeah, you know, the he felt that uh, the gentleman had a clean record, no priors. The, the, and, by the way, there are air quotes around gentlemen. <laughs> oh, right. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Of course, I want to say other things, but I'm trying to be as PC as possible. And, you know, I've got my young nephew here who's producing the program. That guy's a jerk. You don't ever treat a lady. You, somebody's unconscious. I don't care, boy or girl. You call 911. You don't pull down your pants. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, he has said that, you know, the Brock Turner um, did not have any priors and that he was really looking at, you know, his character and that he felt uh, that uh, he had shown remorse and putting him and giving him a, a hard sentence would then have, you know, a permanent and lasting negative impact on his life. So obviously there's there's okay so you don't see then what the negative long lasting life lasting impact on the you know yeah. you don't you're the, not the recognizing the victim. the victim guy yeah so yeah exactly um it just makes me sick it makes me sick to be a woman in this country um at the same time um but then at the same time it makes me feel like this is why it would be very important to 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 make sure that women have visibility and women do speak up um, I look back at my own college years and there's been so many incidents that have been left, uh, un, you know, n- not reported because we were afraid. So I think that after the case had, uh, uh, had been announced, there are many people heading to Twitter to tweet about their own experiences. Um, that's very important. Yeah. I mean, we all saw the, the recent presidential election in the Philippines where the guy who won had before the election made some comment that I'm not even going to repeat here, but it was you, it was a pro rape comment. I mean, there there was no other way to, to to define it, and he did it as a joke and then defended it. And you know, we live in a world, and that's not just the Philippines. I mean, we've right. got governors and and others here in the United States who do that kind of thing. So um, yes, it's it's visibility. It's also laws and 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 uh, you know, changing the laws perhaps that the judges have to work with. Um, on certain things. I, last thing I want to mention, um, there is a, a recall for Judge Aaron Persky's resignation. There's an actual campaign going around. It's already gotten over 250,000 signatures to get him to resign. So um, I think that's on change.org uh, as far as the recall petition um, or the actual site recall, uh, judgepersky.com. So <laughs> they got that domain uh, if you want to sign it. Not not saying that you should, but I mean, if you do, <laughs> that's where it's at. 
Hey, thanks so much for joining us here on the program. Don't forget about the big forum that we're happening or that we're having at Commonwealth Club. Head to CommonwealthClub.org. You can also get all of the podcasts that John Zipper and I co-host together at CommonwealthClub.org slash meow. For everything else, all new episodes are posted at MichelleMeow.com. We will see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And don't forget John Zipper's show, Week to Week Political Roundtable Talk, happens on Fridays, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, right here on The Michelle Miao Show. See you later.